everybody. Welcome to another episode on the Product-Led Podcast. I'm so excited today to go through this very fun topic, which is going to be about how to go from zero to over 10,000 monthly active recurring users in less than two years with PLG. And the founder of this business had no prior product experience. So this is really, truly uh, an awesome story where you're going to learn how you can actually do this. And here I have Gal, who is the co-founder and CPO at Aligned.com. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, happy to join. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So would you be able to just share a little bit of your like background regarding like, hey, like what made you want to start Gal? Not Gal. <laughs> Aligned. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Why did I start Align? So first of all, what is Align? Let's just tell the audience so they know they'll have context. Align is a collaborative workspace that helps sellers and buyers essentially to close more deals faster. So what we're doing is we're allowing sellers and buyers to centralize all of their content, conversation, and process under a single source of truth for the deal. So if I'm a seller and I have a long, rigorous enterprise uh, process, I can centralize all of my contracts, all of my proposals, my, my tech, my agreements, API documentation, and I can send this to the buyer. The buyer can go in to this uh, room, we call it a room, throughout the sales process and kind of see all of the content and then see what we did, where we are, and what's left. And they can chat and communicate with the seller throughout the process. By doing so, we're simplifying the buyer's journey and essentially we're seeing the deals close faster with Aligned. So you mentioned like you started this business two years ago, your past kind of background was you're a director of sales. Can you tell us like from inception, like did you have other co-founders? What did that like starting team look like? Just like the very beginning of it. Essentially, I was a director of sales in my previous company and I headed a sales team and I saw their struggles in orchestrating deals. So enterprise deals are super complex. And I saw that, you know, they had a lot of content that they needed to manage. They were multi-threading with multiple stakeholders. And they were doing so in multiple forms of communication, like Slack, WhatsApp, Gchat, Zoom, phone calls. And they were just a bit lost. So for me, I'm a very operational person. And it was very easy for me to orchestrate deals. And I used to come and help them kind of manage the deal. And I realized that this is a real challenge for salespeople today in enterprise. The buyer journey is becoming more and more complex. And I realized that, you know, if I can take my capabilities and embed it into a software, into a platform that would help other sellers, everyone could benefit from it. So I quit my last position. I sat at home and I literally Googled how to start a startup. I read different articles. I like to teach myself and I didn't have a partner. So I went to all these dating apps specifically to find like a co-founder. I think it took me six months and I found Yotam, my first co-founder and CTO. And that Align was born. So it was just you and your uh, co-founder as the CTO at the beginning, two years ago. All right. So you were at that point and take us from like that inception. And it's like, okay, we, we have the person who can do the tech side. We have the person who can sell it. Which I mean, for those listings, really a power duo. <laughs> a lot of startups don't get that right at the beginning of like, what are those unique skill sets? So that was the first check done. That was right. Now take us from like you just 
have this agreement on like, okay, we're going to do this startup together to maybe like the first six months. What, what kind of happened the first six months? First of all, I came from sales. So the best thing I know is to sell an idea, right? So for me, I worked super hard on the funding and I told Yutam, my co-founder, I said, okay, like go build a platform. This is my idea. And he told me, hold on, like, what do you mean go build a platform? Like, how will it look like? And like, where's the next button and how do you log in? And I said, listen, man, like I can't do everything. I'm, I'm going to do like the, the funding part and get us funded. And you're the tech. So you do the tech stuff. And he said, look, it doesn't work like that. Like you need a product. You need a product manager. And I said, we don't have a budget for the product manager yet. So, and then, you know, that's how it started. And I realized that we have to have product. And I actually looked for in the first six months, um, I looked for different product leaders I looked for a third co-founder, a chief product officer, or a VP product to carry out our vision. And when I couldn't find anyone to do that successfully, I decided to take upon the product myself. So I actually started as the CEO of the company, and then I shifted to chief product officer. And I completely fell in love with the product, I, I must tell you, Wes. Yeah, no, I, I think that's so fortunate to kind of like point out there too, because I think a lot of CEOs might just stay in that role because it's like, hey, this is the role they're fell into it. Maybe they found the business. So it's like, this feels a lot of times better is the person who is that visionary of like, I have this better world in mind of like what this product could look like. Um, so yeah, I, I love that. Uh, I'm curious to hear how did that kind of work out? Because it sounds like it was around six months in the business where you made that switch from like, okay, I'm leading the charge as CEOs, like becoming the CPO. It was actually a year. Since we initiated the company, it was almost a year that I ran as CEO. So by the time we added a, the first year was all about product market fit. I had an idea, but then building the actual platform, making sure that customers actually see the value, understanding the ICP, like ideal customer persona. So even if you have a great solution, sometimes it's not great for everyone, right? It needs to be great for us specific type of clients. So we went from ideation to actually building everything. Getting the first design partners was easy because of my sales background. So I was actually selling to salespeople and this is what's called founder market fit. So for me, it really helped because I knew the ins and outs of, of my clients. So that was the easy part, but then actually building all the product to provide value and solve an actual pain for them, carry it out from the vision to the actual platform took time. So that's what we focused on in the first year, just really polishing the product, getting the design partners. Another thing that we did in the first year is we actually built the foundations of going viral. So we wanted to build virality. So we thought to ourselves, okay, it takes a long time to bring the first user to the product of each company. But then if we can build a process that would make it easier for us to bring the second, third, 10th user from that specific company, we can really grow out our user base very fast. So we brought users manually, the first user of each company, but then we built different flows in the product that will make them invite their team, make their team come and work collaboratively with them in a line. Sounds like the first year product market fit, big thing, work with those design partners, making sure they're getting value. And then you were kind of like early stages thinking about like, okay, the virality, what would that look like? Because I was seeing like a startup, the acquisition is, is one of the hardest parts. It's like, okay, once you nail down that ICP, how do you get 10x? That's same ICP. 
And a lot of times that also might change too. So when it comes to that first year, what did it look like from like a monthly active user count after that first year? I think, you know, it, it went up with each company that started working with us. At first, it was like one user, two users. Then we started getting emails like, hey, can I have a seat in your platform? We didn't charge at first at all. It was completely free. I know a lot of people say, you know, start charging from day one. Make sure that people want to pay for your product. For us, it didn't work that way. We actually went completely free. We wanted to make sure that these users are daily and weekly active users because we knew once they're going to get hooked into the platform, eventually they won't be able to leave and they'll pay when we'll say, hey, it's time to pay or we'll have to, you know, let, let you guys go. And that's how it worked. So what we had in terms of growth, it started like with one users, 20. And I think, you know, we were so excited in the first users, you know, it's like, hey, we have a user in Paris. And, hey, we have a user in Scotland. And Essentially, the way the product is built, every seller is creating this collaborative workspace and every seller basically is exposing our product to 10, 15, 20 buyers in a quarter. And then these buyers, they see the platform and they actually sign in into the platform. So we kind of had a virality in terms of like the seller brings buyers and then buyers bring more sellers. So that really, really helped us grow. We did a lot of research on these flows, perfecting them. And then another thing that happened is that we saw internal virality inside the organizations we worked with. So if we worked with a 2,000 people organization, at first it was a five people team, and then they told their friends and then you know their friends were seeing that they're using it inside the organization. And we actually grew within the organizations that we were working with. So I think the, f- the first six months was like only a few users, but then the second six months we grew month over month, I think by 20%. Yeah, it was really exponential. So then like give or take by the end of the first year, what, what did that look like as far as like how many monthly active users did you have? I think about 3,500, something like that in the first year. Yeah. And so it really like you almost tripled that. Now for the second year, how did you go about like really, I guess, putting like more of that gas on that fire? Because one of the things I'll, before you kind of answer that too, I'll, I'll touch on here is I love how you focused on like, start with engagement first, tackle that. Because if you have a product where like people are keep coming back again and again, that's kind of why you, you made it free at the beginning. You're going to solve that problem way easier. You're also going to know solving a problem so if they don't come back probably aren't solving a problem <laughs> for some of those people and so i love that like that's in a lot of product-led startups that's, that's, that's cheat code like to get out of pmf a lot faster and it seems counterintuitive right because it's like oh we're going to give away our production we'd be like validating uh if they're willing to pay for it but yeah it's one of those like one step to get two steps for kind of deal. So back to that other question. How did you go about kind of tripling the month monthly active users after the first year? Yeah, wow, that's that's a great question. So first of all, funding helped. I won't lie. We got six million dollars in, in our seed round. That was after year one. Another thing that we did is I switched from CEO to chief product officer. I brought a former colleague of mine to be a CEO. And he actually led the entire marketing. So we didn't have marketing, right? Everything was 
pure word of mouth, design partners, friends in the industry that heard of us, and obviously like our internal virality that was derived from the product. So once we started actually launching uh, advertising, showing our success on social media, with SEO, with paid ads, then we got more and more kind of, you know, the first users. Uh, so now the strategy is just to bring those first users it, of each company into the product and then the product kind of does the rest. That's something that, that really helped. Another thing that really helped is just focusing on the different virality flows. So essentially we had sellers bringing other sellers from their organization. We had sellers bringing new buyers from other organizations. We had buyers bringing other buyers. We had buyers bringing new sellers to use Aligned. So we really started looking at all of the virality loops that we have and kind of closing the gap of each loop and making sure that each loop runs smoothly. How did you go about identifying some of those potential virality loops? Because I know for some folks, they're thinking about like, well, you know, there's a lot of potential ways, like how this product could be viral. How do I identify the ones that are even actually bringing in the most potential users? I don't think the answer is that great. To be honest, I, I won't lie. Like it's a lot of trial and error. Like you got to do a lot of small experimentation a lot. So you have your hypothesis. And for me as a seller, I knew, you know, the end user really, really well. So I could as a seller kind of understand what would made me bring other sellers, what would made me bring other buyers. So I tried to mimic my end client and kind of better understand the client and think what would make them bring more users to the platform. These were different hypotheses that we tried and then we tested them as fast as possible. And the minute we saw that something worked, we just you know doubled down on that and, and scaled. So for those that are thinking like, Maybe they're in the similar kind of position as you where, you know, after that first year, they were, yeah, doing the CEO job as well. And they're like, maybe like I should be focusing more on product. Like that's where my energy is. That's where uh, I feel like I could add the most value as well. Can you walk us through like how you made that decision and then how you actually vetted that CEO? Because I think that's like for a lot of people listening, that could actually be one of their biggest growth levers. I know we're talking about like how to get from zero to 10,000, let the act but like if you, nobody's skill set on the team is marketed, it's going to be a lot harder to get there. So that's not necessarily has to be the CEO's role, but having somebody with that skill set is, is a game changer. Yeah, I think for me, the way I look at it, we are three co-founders and we are all co-founders. So we're all leading the company together. And as a co-founder, I used to do well, QA on the weekends, and I used to do, you know, customer success when needed. But as a co-founder, you do whatever you need to do in order to make sure that the company is successful. Specifically here, I felt that my skills are being uh, best used on the product. Um, I didn't feel the need to lead the sales, the marketing, you know, the funding part of the business. And I brought a partner that I uh, admire and trust, and I knew that you know, they will be able to link these areas of expertise really, really well. And then I can focus on the product really, really well. That was my passion in this play. And together we can build, you know, this crazy company, this rocket ship that we are building. Okay. And like, so for 
finding that? How did you go about that whole process? He's asked up a, uh, especially at the early stage, like the first year mark, that's a pretty risky move for sure, especially if it didn't work out. So first of all, startup is risky. You got to take chances. It's, it's part of the game and it's all about learning. So if you're in that mindset of success and failure, it's, it's risky. But if you're in that mindset of everything I do is towards learning, towards developing, and it's just a lot of trial and error. So that actually, you know, softened the whole kind of how you look at things. For me, I actually had a big, I do, I still have a big network of revenue leaders that I know from my past as revenue leader. So I went to that network, I tapped into that network and I looked for a suitable person. I think that CEO of a sales startup coming from sales is ideal. So I actually looked within CROs that I know in the industry. And I found a colleague that used to work together in the past. And I couldn't think of anyone that's, that's better for that role, if to be honest. Cool. Any kind of like mistakes or kind of learnings in that whole process of like replacing yourself as um, CEO? The only thing I can share is that I think a lot of people want to do it and they're kind of afraid to do it because, you know, it's, it's hard to give up. And maybe like you said, Wes, right? Like maybe you failed as a CEO, so that's why you want to give up. Uh, on that position, how will it be perceived? For me, it didn't feel like the case. If you want your startup to succeed, just think of you know where you can help the most and where you can contribute the most, where you want to develop the most and, and go there. Make sure to choose people that you trust and know. Make sure to set expectations prior to doing such big moves. It's very important so that you align on expectations and, and go with your gut feeling. So... One thing I, I love about this story too is there's the, like you didn't do or like didn't have product stressful for um, starting this company and then like a year later, you're the CPO, you're doing uh, products and, and all that's you've been doing a really good job at kind of leading into that. And you're very good at like learning on your own kind of pace and everything else like that. What helped you kind of accelerate your learning to really lead the product side of things? I think the thing that helped me the most is the constant feeling that I'm the underdog here and I don't know enough of product and I need to get better fast um, as much as I can. So I studied psychology and for me, the first move was to kind of know the ins and out of your user. So a lot of product leaders would say, hey, you know, I know my ideal persona, right? I know the company size. I know their position, hence I know my ideal persona, where it's really not the case. You know, you really need to understand their psychology. What motivates them? Why do they do what they do? Are they tech friendly? So I discovered on salespeople that they're very, very different than product and people and developers. For salespeople, they're kind of afraid of technology, so to speak. They don't like to fiddle with the technology. So as a salesperson, you can sit for about 40 minutes writing an email, rephrasing it, thinking about it. But if you have to learn a new product, whoa, that's, that's, you know, that's a big no. So you really need to understand how your consumer, how your ideal customer persona thinks and operates, what motivates them to build a relevant product for them. Another thing that really helped me is um, getting a lot of good advisors, like really good product leaders that could help me build my decision-making system. 
So essentially, I think as a good product leader, you need to have a decision-making system that will help you make decisions in each and every part of your journey of building the product. So for me, the first principle was, I call it the closed garden. Essentially, if you need to give a lot of options to your user, don't do it. Choose one option, gamble on one option, because I see for my client persona, a lot of software fatigue and, you know, it's hard for them to make decisions. So we always kind of chose for them one option and saw if it worked or not, and we simplified their learning curve. We use the simple always win principle. So always choose simple on more options. Um, in my decision-making system, nothing is holy. So, you know, I educate the product team and anyone in the company to come and slaughter the product, so to speak. We can build it from the ground up again and again if needed, and you can justify it with a proper business case. And we kept on dynamic prioritization. So essentially, we completely reorganized the roadmap each and every quarter based on how the market's going, based on how our clients give us feedback, um, and based on where the competition is going. The last thing, Wes, that really helped me is a self-first approach, especially in 2023. We see a lot of product leaders that are completely detached from salespeople and their organization. Uh, we hear it again and again. I hear it from CEOs. And I think if you really, really understand what's going to help your sales team sell the product, you're going to build a much better product uh, in your company. Sounds like the, like if I'm reverse engineering, kind of what you said, you don't have that much experience in product. Uh, the best way to get, really get good at it. I absolutely agree with this first part too. It's like, know the end user extremely well. Like what motivates them, what makes them tick, what are like some of their big pain points, what are their skill sets, are they tech savvy or not, all those different things. Uh, that's the cheat go because everything you build for the product should be based on that. And then the second piece, which you leveled up, was really that decision-making system, which I loved it. It's like focusing on like simplicity, always wins, nothing's holy. Uh, and you got a few other kind of like first principles around um, how you kind of make some of those strategic decisions regarding uh, what do you kind of prioritize as far as that goes. So I, I love that as far as that approach. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah, I told you I was very operational, so it was very easy for me to kind of plan a system here. Yeah, definitely. And so um, you've kind of got the ten thousand plus monthly active users now. Like, what is your kind of like future plan? So to also like continue that crazy growth. It sounds like you're leaning a lot more into virality and some other kind of components and channels. I'm curious, like, what is kind of like top of mind for you in order to to triple the business again? So essentially what we did in Light, in, we are a PLG company, PLS, product-led sales company. And the first part of the business was making sure that we build a platform towards the end user. And now we're really focusing, now that the end user is heavily using Light, we're focusing on providing value for the decision maker, the people that are actually deciding whether to buy the tool or not. So right now, you know, we're seeing that the entire sales team customer success team, partnership team, all of the revenue managers are actually using Align and then they go to their managers and saying, hey, we'd love to use this tool, you know, can you purchase it for us? Um, now we're really focusing on providing a lot of value for the decision makers as well. Uh, but we had to, first of all, lay the grounds and kind of, you know, build the first or second floor of, of the platform. And now we can go to the 
decision maker flow, so to speak, and focusing on virality. Just keep on creating more viral loops, viral flows to accelerate our growth. Awesome. Yeah, why did you feel like that like initial base layer was first? Because like looking at your experience, I would almost argue like it probably would have been way easier for you had you just gone like the traditional more like sales versus like, okay, we got to get like this self-serve conversion, we got to like software engagement first. That kind of took you a year almost of like, okay, let's get this right. Let's build engagements. Let's really like build this for the end user. Um, and then we go after some more of those decision makers. So I'm curious, like why that order and sequence? I think as a, as a sales leader, as a sales consultant, I saw a lot of companies that have a mediocre product, but an excellent sales team and kind of the sales team are selling the product, but then, you know, the buyer had certain expectations, but then when they used it, it was different. And then customer success had to mitigate that. And for me, I just wanted to create a different experience. I said, when I'll build a startup, I'll make sure that the product is really, really good, gives a lot of value. And then everything is going to become much, much more easier for the entire company, essentially. Because if the product is good, the product team makes the sales team life easier, the customer success team's life easier, marketing. Uh, so for me, I wanted to make sure I build a company that's succeeding. And the key to success was to make sure that the end user love the product. And we actually had in our, in our early days, we actually had end users, actually sales teams, sales leaders and sales managers uh, investing in Alliance, you know, during our, our pre-seed round, just actually investing money because they believed in the product so much and they were using it heavily so much. I love that. And one thing I was just thinking about, like reading in between the lines here too is, I think if you lean into product, product compounds value faster than like any other way. Because it's like I, in the uh, product-led method I'm building on now, there's like kind of like three components of like, how do you get the synergy to scale your product and business. And like component one is like, okay, you've got to figure out how to build like a profitable business. That's like super key for any business, table stakes. The other one is like, you need obviously uh, customers and getting for those customers is really important for like any self-serve kind of product. And eventually we even latch on like product and sales. It's still very important to have that kind of ability to help customers at scale, get to value. And then the third one is like really that empowering product. Like if you have that piece, those three things, uh, it's kind of like the, the 80, 20 of like, how do you really scale it up as well? So this has been awesome to chat with you. I know what prompted this when you initially reached me as well to, to kind of book this chat is you're like, I have been reading like so much on the product blog, the courses, the podcast and everything. So I'm curious, like selfishly, <laughs> how has what we've been putting together helped you on your journey to build your own product-less business? I think essentially when I started the company, I must share this. I didn't know which go-to-market approach will go. And I saw that a lot of people were starting to use the lines and I offered them to hop on calls and they just didn't want to. They said, hey, I don't want to hop on a call with you. I just want to use your product. Um, and then we saw people that were asking how they can pay for the platform. And we saw organic growth within our users in Alliance. And I realized, okay, this is a self-serve product that can go in a PLG motion and that's where we need to go. So I started researching that world. Immediately, I stumbled upon the product-led podcast and I was, you know, I think I almost 
heard all of the episodes during my gym time. Uh, every week, you know, one, two episodes, I really learned a lot. Then I saw your material, started reading your articles. Your SEO was great. And then I, you know, I listed for the, the course to consume more material and, you know, make it more structured. I figured if I'm going to be a CTO, at least I, you know, with no prior product experience, at least I need to know the lingo and, and how to structure my department and workflows. So your course has been amazing and really helpful. And I actually created nice networking from it. And I'm still in touch with people that were in my product-led course. Uh, it's always fantastic. That's one of the one things we never really promoted as far as the, the programs as well. But it's just, yeah, it's definitely one of the things that lasts a lot longer than then sometimes the course itself. So I love that. Thanks so much for sharing that call. Um, and the last question I have for you, which might not be the last, but how did you decide, like to walk us through your decision framework for deciding the self-serve product-led go-to-market motion was the right one for you? Because so many people who are actually listening to this, they're thinking to themselves, it sounds great, but my business is unique. <laughs> Maybe there's like one or two outlying factors that I don't quite know if this is the right path for me. So can you just share like what gave you that confidence that, you know what, this is the the right decision, the right go-to-market motion for your business to start off with? Yeah, of course, 100%. So that that's a great question. It's, it's a really hard kind of, you know, things thing to crack when you start your business. Will my go-to-market motion be sales-led, product-led? Um, so essentially, like I said before, what got me there is, first of all, listening to my clients and seeing that they understood the value without the need of me explaining it to them. Like it was really intuitive. So if you're out there and you're contemplating, make sure that, you know, you give your platform to a user and, you know, they understand the value of your platform um, without even speaking to you. They can do that and they can start being a power user without even speaking to you. And then it means you're on the right track. So you don't need to have a good statistical number. It's enough that one out of 15 or 20 users will be able to do it. Then you can go and kind of build the flows and, and, and better the user journey into growing those numbers. So that's one thing we saw. Another thing that we saw is that people just, you know, we are a collaborative platform. So people wanted to invite other people to the platform in a fully self-served way without even speaking to us. Um, and then we saw that people are willing to pay for the product without speaking to us again, just by playing with it. So we realized that it's intuitive enough um, for our clients. I can share that today we are not going on a pure PLG play. We actually have a hybrid that's called product-led sales. So essentially what happens is people are signing up to our platform in a self-served way. They're playing with the platform, but then they start getting email cadences from our sales team. Um, they are actually called sales assists. And the position of the sales assist is just to offer them help, guidance, coaching, and education on how to use the platform. The platform still sells itself, but um, the sales team kind of help the users in their first uh, steps in activating them and helping with larger clients. So that for us, product-led sales, which is a hybrid, work best. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on, Gal. Um, where can people find out more about what you're up to? Yeah, we are all over LinkedIn. Just go to alignedapp.com or look for Aligned on LinkedIn. You'll see us all over. 
in our website. You can sign into the platform. It's completely free. Try it uh, for yourself and hopefully on Spotify on the Product Lab podcast. Awesome. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Gal. This was a blast. Thanks a lot, West. It was great. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to the Product-Led Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit. We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, we will definitely create more content just like this episode. <laughs> and if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.